the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Welcome to a new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited today to be sitting down with Rebecca McGee, who is the founder of Sister Seasons, which is working to connect menstrual and planetary cycles for collective well-being. Rebecca and I had so much fun talking about everything from reconnecting to our bodies to the roller coaster of starting businesses in 2020 and the relationship between feeling our feelings and climate action. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Rebecca. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I'm so excited to sit down today with Rebecca McGee, the founder of Sister Season. She is doing such cool work at the intersection of women's health and climate. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Liz, for having me. Ah, you're welcome. I'm again, I'm just so excited for our conversation. I've really been looking forward to this. Um, if you wouldn't mind, maybe before we jump into everything, uh, please go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. So my name is Rebecca McGee. I'm the founder of Sister Seasons, um, which in- integrates menstrual cycle education with lessons from nature and climate change to help women reclaim their own well-being as they reclaim our planet's health. I love it. Well, I'm sure we'll get much deeper on all things you in a minute here. Um, I have to ask, I feel like I always start with the biggest question first, which I may reconsider in the future. (laughs) But my favorite thing to ask people, because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, is if you could change one thing about the world, what's the one thing that you would like to change? Mm, That's such a big question. I think one of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently is just our sense of belonging and how how much when we don't feel like we belong, things can really go south. So um, the more that we feel like we belong to ourselves, that we belong to our planet, that we belong within our communities, there's just more opportunity for peace in the world, for more of a sense of connection, um, understanding, you know, sticking it out and actually working through challenging things. So yeah, I wish people felt more of a sense of belonging at all of those levels, because I think that that would, um, yeah, bring a lot of like peace and joy to us because yeah, life is such a gift. Mm. I love that so much. And I I love how you defined belonging too. Um, 
and what it could potentially unlock. That's beautiful. Um, well, I would love to talk. I feel like this also, your answer really aligns with the work that you're doing at Sister Seasons. And um, for people who are listening who've never heard of Sister Seasons, I will say like I first read your, like the first blurb I ever saw about the work that's happening at Sister Seasons. And I was immediately obsessed. I was like, this is so cool. It's so important. Um, I know you told us a little bit about how you're connecting menstrual and planetary cycles for collective well-being, but can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I have to say before I say anything, I did not think ever that I would become someone who talked about periods for a living. (laughs) (laughs) It, yeah, it just never was on my my radar in my career plan. Um, but so maybe I can t- share a little bit about how Sister Seasons came about because I think that really informs what we do. Yes, please. Yeah. So I had this aha when I was doing some research um, in a past job. We were looking at what the connection was between gender justice and climate justice. And as we were interviewing these experts, um, we basically like came to the conclusion and were told repeatedly from so many different people that you can't have one without the other. You cannot have a just sustainable world if you don't have gender equity. Mm. And that core to that is having people whose voices have been left off of the table, like women, like other marginalized groups, come to the table and share their unique perspectives and knowledge and lived experiences and all of that. And I thought like, wow, that's so great. That's so great that we know that. But at the same time, and especially because I've been through my own cycles of burnout, was like, Okay, so like I'm hearing that like women, we really need women to step into climate leadership, but how could we ever ask them to do that when we're all so exhausted and burnt out? Mm -hmm. And it just like felt like it was just like once again, you know, (laughs) women have to save everything and we have to like really like sacrifice our well-being for the good of everyone else. And that just felt like there was something really missing. Um, So the other half that came, you know, the other half of that aha that came in at that time was connecting it to all the work that I had been doing in my own journey of learning about how my body worked, um, learning about my menstrual cycle, you know, at the age of 30, this was not something I was discovering earlier in my life and finding that the more that I was partnering with my menstrual cycle, the more that I could find the energy and capacity to do the things that I care about, to show up for what I love, to show up for myself, to show up for my family and friends. And things just didn't feel as much like a struggle anymore. And that's when these two worlds kind of collided. And I realized like, what if we could help reconnect women to their bodies? Um, both because 
you know, to rebuild our capacity, but also because we have a right to this knowledge that we've never been given, at least in, um, you know, the cultures here in the U.S. and in many other cultures as well, where we're just like not not told about what's happening within our bodies and how it can be a superpower in a way. And by doing that, that we could actually help women to reclaim their health, reclaim their well-being, while also building up that resilience, that adaptability, that ease to enable them to step into climate leadership. And leadership, I use very generally. It's like whatever that means to you within your spheres of influence um, to just like show up in a new way um, and that that um, and that, that that could be joyful and easeful um, because we do need women. We do need women's voices and we need to also honor um, what women are currently experiencing and the lineage that we've inherited. Um, yeah, because we're, we're exhausted now, but like that's an exhaustion that we've inherited. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, I thank you so much for sharing that origin story. I mean, I, I think it's it's so interesting. And I know I can say for myself, like I didn't really discover like kind of like cycle syncing with work until I started my entrepreneurial journey. I, I think that was like really the first time I met someone um, who's a holistic health coach who was really passionate about this. And and she was the first person who like informed me that so much of society, so much of like the work cultures that, you know, many of us have grown up in, it's all built around a 24 hour hormonal cycle, which is like a yeah. man's cycle. <laughs> like mm-hmm. happy hour is when men are most primed to be social uh, as an example. And so then once I started to kind of like understand and unpack uh, my own cycle and how that affected, I mean, most women who are menstruating have a, you know, 28 to 32 ish day cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're better at certain things at different moments in that than we are at others. And obviously we're amazing and we can do anything anytime we want to. But as you said, like there is so much power in actually like aligning what we're doing with like what we're, I would say, um, like chemically optimized to do. (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, and I, and I love that you specifically said like, we can totally do anything at any time. It's just that at certain times of our cycle, um, we're primed for certain tasks. And so when we work with that, we can create a lot of ease. Um, but just to build on that too, I think, you know, you were talking about how, yes, the the man-made world that we are living in is really designed around the male 24-hour testosterone cycle. And that, you know, women and menstruators have this other cycle. But we can also think about like, what are all the other rhythms that are existing in the natural world? And how have those other rhythms also been forced onto this 24-hour dominator cycle? So I think that's really where we can start to think about like how 
what we're experiencing as women also relates to what the planet is experiencing. You know, when we think about monocropping or monoculture or the idea that like the earth is like making tomatoes year round, (laughs) even though tomatoes aren't in season year round or that, um, you know, when we think about like fracking, like I just like in my mind, like the visual is just like, you know, machines just like pumping, you know, 24 seven, like around the clock working. And it's like, you know, nature is also being expected to be productive 100% of the time to be on and um, conforming to this rhythm. That is also not not natural for it either. Uh, It's so interesting. Um, And this idea of like, it's like, how can we honor and ease back into these rhythms of seasons? Um, I feel like I have a whole new appreciation of the depth of your name for sisters. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I mean, the one thing I do love about our name is that um, I think we talk a lot about like, we do talk a lot about mother nature, mother earth. And that's a really beautiful metaphor and relationship. But when we reframe earth as sister or you know, really essentially peer, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be feminine. Um, it helps us understand like, like, okay, like if my friend or my sister was going through this too, how would I support her? How would I show up for her differently? Because I think oftentimes when we think of the mother, the mother is the one supporting us, caring for us. We're the child, we're on the receiving end. But that's not moving us, obviously, towards stepping up and caring for our planet. And so how might we also like change our language or our the dynamic that we see between us and our planet so that we can step up and really um, show up for her in the way that she has shown up for us? Um, mm. I also want to say, even as I'm saying she, I'm like, that's not fully capturing that like um, gender binaries don't actually exist in nature. So also (laughs) prefacing it with that. But um, yeah, just working with that metaphor of mother and sister. Absolutely. No, and it's so beautiful, though. It's making me think I'm like, wow, if I had a sister or a friend in a relationship that's anything like the relationship that humans have inflicted on our planet, I'd be like, leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. You just like would not let her put up with that shit. No. And like same, like if you, you know, I can like imagine us just like talking on the phone to like earth and she being like, also like, what are you doing putting up with that shit? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because, you know, we are going through this, like, together, like, the same – it is the same forces that are are um, imposing this sort of oppressive, extractive, um, uh, constraining, you know, um, yeah, uh, culture, like, on us. It's – yeah, it's all connected. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. No, it, it certainly is. Well, and I would love to take a step back. I know you mentioned, and I I so appreciate you're like, I never thought that I'd be talking about 
periods in my work. Um, and uh, would love to hear one of the things I love to to do on this podcast is provide space for people to tell their stories of how they came to be doing the work that they're doing today um, or living and living the lives that they're living today. Um, so you can go back as far back as you would like to go, but would love to hear a little bit more about you and your journey to this place and this work. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I've been training and preparing for this work for my whole life. And so it's, it's a messy, nonlinear story. But um, I'll say that I grew up in New Orleans, um, uh, which has a really interesting relationship with nature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's very exposed. It's um, really, you know, the local communities have uh, had to really protect themselves from nature, you know, building up levees, building up waterways um, to try to control nature in order for those um, areas to, main, to remain livable. And I think that that really affected me in that I grew up not spending a lot of time outdoors, not really feeling connected to nature. Um, it was something more that I think I often felt scared of. Um, although I will say that like it also comes from like growing up in a community where I wasn't necessarily encouraged to trust myself so that, you know, when you disconnect from your body or, you know, you don't trust your own gut, like everything starts to feel like a little scary. Um, but yeah, so I, I was growing up in New Orleans and um, my love for science started in middle school, when, like through science fair, became like a little bit of a science fair nerd, thought that um, when I was going to go to college that I was going to study natural resources management, which like now the idea of like natural resources management as a concept, um, I have very different feelings about. <laughs> um, but I ended up going to... Um, a college that didn't have an environmental major. They just had a um, minor. And so um, I knew that it was the right decision for me, but I really had to figure out how do I find my own way um, and really started like exploring like history and writing and kind of the cultural dynamics of, um, of, uh, yeah, how our environment informs and affects um, cultures. And I also was studying um, environmental studies um, with some really cool people. Um, and yeah, like in that experience of like being in college, I think that was like when I first started being exposed to like people who are in the environmental movement or people who are activists. Um, but I felt really, really out of place most of the time, which is like a big theme in my life, like in general, like just going back to that, um, you know, what I shared about belonging is um, how important it is to find people who care about what we care about and to feel connected to each other. And so I think I was like on the search for that when I was in college, but like I I didn't, I didn't come from a family that had ever gone camping or I didn't cycle everywhere or, you know, there was like all of these like kind of markers 
of what people, at least at that time, you know, this is a while ago, I'm in my um, mid thirties now. So um, the environmental movement looked a little bit different then, but, you know, I just like never felt like I really fit in. And even when I was graduating college and interviewing at environmental nonprofits, I was like, I'm not going to get this job. They, they <laughs> seem like they're like not really understanding me. Um, I'm not really feeling like we're connecting, even though we care about the same things. Um, and that's when I first heard about corporate social responsibility. And I was like, okay, I think I want to go do this in the business world. Um, and I actually wrote my senior thesis on um, sustainable fashion. So understanding like the supply chain of cotton and what the alternatives were for sustainable fibers. Um, and that really sparked things for me. Um, oh, that's but- so cool. It's just a random aside. I feel like, where am I wearing that? <laughs> that book was like, I read in, in college and undergrad as well, probably around the same time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And like, this was like 2008 that I graduated. And so at the time, like, I remember doing a lot of research for that project and being like, there's nothing out here. Like, there's no good options. Like everything was like very like crunchy granola and like it had one, one, one aesthetic basically. Mm -hmm. If you wanted sustainable fashion, it all looked the same. Um, And so it's amazing to see how that's evolved. Um, But yeah, so I, I was, I knew I had this, the seed planted then when I was graduating college that I knew I wanted to move into the business sector to work on sustainability, but there weren't, there just weren't jobs available, especially if you didn't have any experience. Um, I mean, I could talk about that for forever, but I feel like CSR (laughs) still is a little bit like being in the right time, right place. If you want to get into those roles, which can be really challenging. I mean, I think it's better now than it's ever been, especially relative to like, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, but yeah, it still has an element of that for sure. Yeah. So I ended up going a different route. I had been working. This is a fun fact is I, my first job, um, actually I started it in my senior year of college. I was working as a wedding planner. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I didn't know this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, I was like really in love with like Martha Stewart, like growing up and I just like really loved creating really beautiful experiences for people. I mean, even when I was um, in middle school, I would host dinner parties for my friends. Oh. And I, re- I don't know actually where that urge or desire came from, but it just like felt like really natural to me. So you've been a hostess forever, basically. <laughs> forever. And, and yeah, and I'm, and I, and it's always been a mystery why, but I just have always felt drawn to, um, yeah, just like creating something beautiful uh, for people, um, like that sense of just like connection and and beauty and like making things special. Because um, it's like, yeah, like why not have some delight in your life? Uh, um, yes, I could not agree more. And there's just something so, I think it's 
there's something so fun about creating experiences because experiences can be so magical. Mm-hmm. And transformative. Like you get to try on and express a different part of yourself when you're in like a different setting, a different container. And you get to like learn things about other people too, like in that. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I, w- I was a wedding planner for a little bit and then I moved into doing um, events for a nonprofit in New York. Um, so doing like huge fundraisers and things like that. And, and that's like really where I was just like looking for meaning, but the fashion piece and the sustainability work like just kept pulling my heart. Um, and so I started doing whatever I could to um, meet people in that field, to study it more in my own personal time outside of work. And eventually um, left. Um, so I, yeah, I moved to a different job before I left New York and was working to um, for an organization that funds social entrepreneurs. So that was really what also planted the business seed was reading, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of um, business models, business plans. Mm. Um, But yeah, I eventually left New York, took a year off and went to India to um, work with a friend's family who ran a fair trade artisan export business for a little while. And I also started a sustainable fashion blog. And I was like, I'm going to make this switch. Like, I'm going to move into this field. And yeah, when I came back from India, um, I ended up um, having a phone call with um, the director of social consciousness at Eileen Fisher, um, who had also gone to my same university. And it turned into a job interview. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. So I ended up working, moving back to New York. I worked at Eileen Fisher for seven years on their social consciousness team. Um, And that was really where it was just like, yeah, it was an incredible experience because it just like allowed me to start exploring more about what were the gifts that I specifically brought into this sustainability work. Um, Like how could I use the skills and things that come naturally to me to make the change that I wanted in the world. Would you like to take the time to fully capture your accomplishments from this year, reflect on what you're calling in in 2023, and create your own personal vision board? Our Winter Workshop Series is an opportunity to do all of that while also connecting with an intimate community of women changing the world. Each event will include a guided meditation, prompts to help you structure your reflection, and worksheets and templates to help you capture the magic. Sign up for one, two, or all three today and get 20% off when you use the promo code PODCAST. Visit http colon slash slash www.elizabethbest that's elizabeth with an s best b-e-s-t dot com slash workshops for all the details and to join us i didn't have to you know conform to maybe like what the what an environmentalist look like I could start to discover that for myself. 
Oh, I love that. How cool. So then how did you come from being in-house at Eileen Fisher, which I imagine was in a lot of ways kind of a dream job to where you Mm -hmm. are now? Yeah, I mean, it was that experience was just so transformative. It introduced me to systems thinking. I have um, a wonderful mentor, Sarah Schley, who um, I met as um, she was partnering with my team and the company on our sustainability strategy. And she taught us all about systems thinking. And it really just like opened up my eyes to more about how to think about how to solve um, these problems, you know, these really big problems in the world. How could we find the leverage points? Mm -hmm. Um, It also gave me the opportunity to really um, you know, it was in that context that I was doing that research around the um, relationship between gender equity and climate justice. And so it just like exposed me to all of these new ideas. Um, and then the last piece that really, um, I think, was such a huge catalyst for for starting the work of Sister Seasons was I had been working on a um, developing and co-leading a sustainability education program for our employees. And in that first year of running it, which was like such a surreal experience, I, um, one of our, one of our um, participants, after like learning all this stuff about climate change and, um, you know, really starting to have her own eyes open to what the problem was that is facing our planet said you know I like I can't take this like I have to do something about it right (laughs) now like I'm not going to use paper ever again I'm not gonna you know and she started like you know sharing all of these like she was just like really looking for action like how did how could she move from this huge awakening into um, translating into her daily life And that was just such a powerful experience because it was like, oh my God, like one of the reasons that people are not taking action on climate change is because we fail to ever make it personal for people. You know, like you read all the headlines and like, it's just like a fire hose all the time of this bad news, but we never ever stop to say like, well, how does this affect you as a person? What is your why? for one to, you know, for getting involved? What are the specific things that you could bring? Because, you know, no one person or no one way is going to solve this problem. It's a systemic problem. There's, we need lots of people doing lots of different things. Mm -hmm. And seeing her have this like really beautiful and strong reaction of being like, oh, I like, I'm ready to step into this. Because now climate change has become personal to me. I understand how it relates to my life. Um, It just made me realize that, like, we have to, like, pause and make space, like, really, like, create containers for people of all kinds. So not just women like I work with, but um, really making opportunities for people to experience all of the emotions related to this, both the joy and delight of what, you know, the gifts of our planet, but also the challenges and the sadness and the grief of like what is happening right now. 
Um, and that giving them that space to really like find their connection is what will sustain people um, and move them towards action. Um, and that's been a really critical piece in in developing this model for sister seasons is like, well, if we can understand that like nature is going through, you know, the whole of the natural world is going through the same things that I as a woman am going through mm-hmm. because I'm burnt out or depleted or, you know, really specific um, menstrual cycle issues. Like you might be dealing with um, some things that are manifesting as period issues that are coming from really heightened levels of stress um, or other like, you know, imbalances that like when we realize like, yeah, all of this is the same, like it's really, it becomes personal and that that can really fuel us because yeah, when it's non-specific and it's just like the fire hose of bad news, like of course we're immobilized. Of course we we freeze up. It's only natural, I think, as humans. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And this idea of like that we need to really have the space to feel our feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my goodness. That's so powerful. And I think for so many of us, especially in the past two and a half years of living through the pandemic, when it has felt like one thing after another, like combining that with like the society that many of us live in, which is like, so go, 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 like space to feel our feelings. I think for so many people, it like has not felt safe. It has not felt like spacious. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's like a, maybe a tall order for a lot of people, but it's so critically important um, as part of, I think, mobilizing into action for what's next. Yeah. And there's so many reasons that we don't feel our feelings. Like some of it is because like we're, you know, really just distracted and busy and there's a lot of demands on us at any time. Um, but it, it can also be really scary to to grieve or to, um, to even maybe feel, you know, for a lot of women, I think feeling fun or pleasure or delight or joy also doesn't feel good or safe. Um, because of how we've been conditioned. And um, so, and and yeah, anything that's unfamiliar to our nervous system is deemed as unsafe. And so if you're like, you know, out having fun and like, you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be having fun. Like this thing should feel so good. And it doesn't. It's like, it's okay. Like actually, like it might just be that it's really unfamiliar. And so the more that we can just like create opportunities and and you know that could be uh, you could go about this in so many different ways but I think creating safe spaces for us to um, slow down drop into our bodies and feel these emotions um, in really like nurturing supportive um, and you know as much as possible like trauma informed ways um, is really critical um, because we don't have that. We don't, yeah, like I think the pandemic has been a really great example of that is, you know, as a collective, we've been experiencing so much grief and there's no outlet for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and our culture especially doesn't have a lot of rituals or um, or 
yeah, outlets, channels for how to process grief too. Like, I mean, you know, the last funeral that I went to, um, you know, my grandma passed away maybe two, two years ago now. I know a year ago. It feels like forever. Um, oh, I and, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, but it was really fascinating to see that like um, the, even at a funeral, like, you know, my family like didn't know how to like grieve. Like they didn't know how to be together in their grief. And I think we could look at that and be like, oh, like Rebecca, like your family doesn't know how to do this. And it's like, no, like as a collective, as a culture, we've forgotten how to do this mm-hmm. and we we don't have these rituals. And so, yeah, I hope that um, coming out of this pandemic, like we've really like learned how important it is to create that space for each other and um, to create processes um, because yeah, we need to move through that grief if we wanna come back and um, open up to joy too. Yes, and I think, I imagine, I know I can say for myself, there was definitely a moment when things in the pandemic seemed more hopeful than they maybe seem in this moment (laughs) when we're talking. Uh, And it was really interesting for me to be hit with like a wall of grief Mm -hmm. um, when seemingly everything was getting better. But uh, someone shared with me, I think via their therapist, that (laughs) <laughs> for for like I'll take any and all yeah. therapy like t- therapist it. tips and tricks that that for a lot of people that that was the case um this is back again I think in maybe summer of 2021 um but early summer and, and this idea that like we often like when we're in survival mode we don't feel our feelings because it doesn't feel safe to feel our feelings but that she was noticing a lot of people being like really overwhelmed with grief because it started to feel safe to feel it before moving into the next thing and so I wouldn't be surprised if you know whenever in the future (laughs) we we start to feel more like we're moving beyond uh, the current stage that we're in of pandemic life um if there is kind of like a collective reckoning with grief over all the loss from the past few years, um, that it hasn't necessarily felt safe to process while it was ongoing. hundred percent. And I feel like that's like, you know, my journey in entrepreneurship started like as the pandemic was unfolding. So I, you know, left Eileen Fisher at the end of 2019 was like, you know, I had had the idea for sister seasons. I was like, I'm going to spend a little time like working on it. And then I had this whole plan that I was going to like start sister seasons and then get another full-time job and just run it on the side, which like now I'm like, that was insane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's not, that's not how this was going to happen. Definitely. There was a different plan that I just wasn't prepared to be open to yet. Um, But yeah, but I have felt like so much grief coming up like during this pandemic and not just because of you know um losses in my family or like losses around me but even just like grieving the end of like a career of working for other people I you know even stepping into sister seasons I feel like it's like it's required me to also grieve having to let go of all of the um adaptations 
and learned behaviors that I had used to survive and navigate spaces that felt unsafe to me. Mm. So like being in the workplace and like getting really good at being like strategic and like, you know, doing a lot of like switching about like how I would present myself or, you know, negotiate or, you know, really like it was like performative professionalism, right? Like we're asked to kind of like put part of ourselves aside in order to function in a workplace. And I got really good at it. And that is not what I want to bring into sister seasons. And so I had to like let all of that go, you know, all of those like, you know, quote unquote skills of mm-hmm. navigating a workplace, um, navigating um, a world that, you know, maybe felt um felt a little bit out of alignment, you know, like you got to like put that stuff aside. And, you know, so yeah, so when I started moving towards like moving into the work of sister seasons, it was like one thing after another that I realized I was grieving as I was stepping into this new chapter of life. And I think that the only way that I was able to really move through that was Uh, you know, the support of like, um, loved ones. Like if I didn't have their support and I didn't feel as safe as I have felt, I don't think I could have done all of that grieving. Um, because we do need to feel safe in order to really feel our feelings. Wow. Yes. I mean, I, <laughs> I like, I so identify with so much of what you shared and we're, we're sisters in the sense that I also started my business January, 2020. So like blissfully, <laughs> blissfully unaware of what was coming. Um, and had, I know for me, a lot of what I had to grieve in the first couple years, and I'm sure there's like probably more of this to do, but was, I had such a vision for my business of like, being very in-person gathering oriented. Like I just, I had, it's just funny. The, the picture that I had in my head, the energy of what I've gotten to do over the past few years has, has been that energy, but the actual experience in many mm-hmm. cases has been so different. Um, and really making like finding peace with like what is versus what I had imagined um, was such a process. And I, I can only imagine too. And I, you know, I think that's been a different, but not dissimilar process for me. Like of thinking about, as you said, like all of these skills, all of these, like all of the ways of being that have maybe made us successful in our careers up until this point, but are not the skills that are going to take us to the next level and what we truly want to do. Um, and letting those go and letting that person go is also such a process. Oh, yes. I mean, and it's, it's, it, in some ways, I feel like it's kind of happened like on its own for me. I'm curious if that's how it's felt like for you, where it's just like, um, but I, I think the most helpful partner for me in that has just been like my body over the last, um, what is it, two, two and a half years of business where I'll find myself in a situation that, maybe used to feel good, you know, um, whether it's like a networking event or, you know, working on a project that I used to, 
be excited about or, you know, because I've still been doing some consulting on the side as well um, while building the business. And it's been really interesting that sometimes my body is like, hell no, we Mm -hmm. are not doing this anymore. And it looks like anxiety. It's looked like panic attacks at times. It's looked like just like um, finding myself going back to cycles of burnout. And it's really been amazing to have my body, like to be able to use that information, that data coming from my body to be like, oh, like what's going on here? Why am I feeling this anxiety? And it's like, all right, like actually like this, this context, this, um, you know, whatever is happening here is no longer aligned with who I am. I'm not playing those games anymore and I cannot be here anymore. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been so interesting and, and I think similarly, like the, the cycles of burnout are something that I feel like I, I would love to believe won't be a lifelong lesson, but I think it's a, a lesson I continue learning over and over again. Uh, in spite of my best efforts, but that, that full body no, or that intuitive, not, this is not right. Um, and actually being in a, in a position where I can listen to that and do something with that information in ways that maybe I didn't feel like I could like fully act on that information before, uh, has been such a fun journey. Also uh, feels like a lot of responsibility sometimes not, I wouldn't trade it, but Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm curious, like, just as people are listening to this too, like, if they're like, oh, how do you, how do you get that data? Like, how do you start to let in that information? Because I know a lot of people who are finding sister seasons and I've had some like really beautiful, honest conversations with people who have said, I don't even know when I'm hungry. I don't even know when Mm. I'm thirsty. And I think that just like highlights how much uh, we are really disconnected from our bodies are told that, you know, to ignore the information that our bodies are giving us. And so if people are listening and they're thinking, you know, how, how do I start to collect that data? How do I start to like, you know, listen to it? It's like starting with the really basic things. It's like, when you have to go to the bathroom, do you sit there and hold it while you keep working? Or do you get up (laughs) and go walk and like respond to what your body is telling you? Like when you are thirsty, do you power through another hour before you go get a glass of water? Or do you say like, oh, I'm thirsty. I'm going to get up and I'm going to respond to it. And when we start to respond to the really basic um, data points that our body is is giving us the really basic feedback, we can start to like unblock and open to our body giving us way bigger information. Like this job is not going to work for you anymore, or this partner isn't a fit for you, or, you know, like all of that can really start to come through with a lot more ease. Um, But we have to start with like the basics first. Mm, yes, definitely. I mean, I'm with someone who really like didn't know I lived in a body <laughs> until I did my <laughs> yoga teacher training in my 20s. And I was like, oh my gosh, neck down exists, uh, is a thing. 
Um, and and I feel one other thing for anyone listening who is also hoping to to tune into this one one practice that I found really helpful is and this is different for everyone. Um, but noticing like when something does feel like a yes, like an absolute yes, and that could be like in your heart, in your brain, wherever, but noticing what that feels like in your body um, and noticing, for example, like when you are feeling uneasy or uncertain or like not great about something, noticing like where in your body that tends to show up. Because I've noticed, at least for me, and I know for, for many of the women in my world, as an example, anxiety shows up in one place um, and like that good kind of like nervous, like I'm a little unsure, but I think I'm going to go for it shows up in a, in a different place in a different way. And so starting to, to maybe watch the, the soundtrack in your brain and check in with how, how things are actually feeling in your body in that moment, I think can also be really helpful. I love that. And it makes me think of, um, I read the book, um, Playing Big by Tara Moore. I don't know if you've Oh, I haven't read that yet. Uh, It is a life-changing book. And I ended up, after I read it, I took her facilitator's training program. And one of the things that she talks about is that there's two kinds of fear. There's the and we, we think that all fear is the same, but actually like sometimes like fear is like, you know, there is actually something dangerous or we should be moving away from something because it's it's not right for us, um, which is really helpful to know and notice and honor. And then there's the other kind of thing that, you know, we, we're interpreting as fear, but it's really excitement. Mm. It's like taking us to our edge it's taking us a little bit out of our comfort zone. And this is like the nervous butterflies in your stomach feeling. And yes. My therapist calls it tremulousness. <laughs> Ooh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Where you're just like, you're, your brain might be like, uh-oh, this feels dangerous. Like we shouldn't go forward with this because we're nervous. But actually it's like letting it be different, like letting it be like, oh, like, you know, someone just asked me to do some public speaking and I'm terrified of that, but like, I'm also a little bit intrigued. I'm a little bit excited. It's asking me to um, be visible or expand or, you know, um, step out of my comfort zone. And like, that like, actually like that can be the kind of, um, yeah, feelings that we want to like follow Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, I love that. Well, I can talk to you for hours. I feel like we <laughs> I feel like we have like at least another podcast episode in us in the future <laughs> around starting businesses in early 2020, among <laughs> other things. Um, but I wanted to ask just a few quick hit questions uh, before we wrap things up so in the interest of time. Um, so one of my favorite questions to ask is if you could give your younger self some advice and you can like pick an age or just give some generic younger self advice, what do you wish you could tell past you? Mm. That my sensitivity is my superpower. I love that. Um, well, in a similar vein, uh, 
I love asking what people's favorite inspirational quotes are. What inspirational quote has been speaking to you as of late? So this one has been my favorite lately. It's from Vandana Shiva. Um, And the quote is, you are not Atlas carrying the world on your shoulder. It is good to remember that the planet is carrying you. And that just like hits home so much because I think sometimes I have a really hard time um, receiving support and really just letting myself be held by, you know, people who care about me and love me. And, um, and I'm, cause I'm so used to being the giver mm-hmm. and that one has really been speaking to me. Cause it just reminds me that like, it's, it's such an illusion that um, we could, we could ever do this all by ourselves. Um, and that every day when I'm just like, even walking on the earth, like the earth is supporting me this whole time. And that's been really helpful and just, um, feeling like it gives me permission to set some things down. Mm, it, it reminds me so much of what you were saying when we first started our conversation too, of this like relationship with the earth of, as a friend or a sister, like more mm-hmm. of that pure, like reciprocity. Yeah. So cool. Well, you can totally pick one of the two things that you just shared, but my other favorite question to ask, I have a vision that one day I will, I'm still figuring out how to make this possible, but that we will print post-its with pre-populated inspirational sayings and quotes from all the podcast guests, (laughs) because many of us, I'm like staring at my collection right now, many of us have little reminders and notes to self posted up around where we work. Um, So what would you want to write on yours? I have a post-it right now in my bathroom mirror and it says, maybe I can do this. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And it's, I think that appeals more to my, my sense of curiosity, because if I just wrote, I can do this, then some days I'm like, no, I freaking can't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this idea of like, well, maybe we can, like, what would that be like? That what if I think sense of it, uh, you know, approach to it just like feels like it, it fuels me more. Uh, Yes, um, it reminds me of uh, the quote, um, I think Noemi, uh, one of the co-founders of QB Consulting shared when we spoke, which is like, but what if it does work? (laughs) Yes, I love that. Totally. Uh, Well, so fun. Um, How for people who are listening and want to follow along, connect, stay in the loop on sister seasons and be part of the work that you're doing. What's the best place for people to find you? Sure. So people can head to sisterseasons.com and there you can join our newsletter. So we send out a really juicy monthly love letter um, to everyone. And we also host a monthly community event called the cool down. It's happens each new moon, and it is a community ritual to um, slow down, recalibrate to nature's pace, and you know, look back over the past cycle, um, prepare for the next. Um, and it's a little bit of a different kind of a new moon experience because we're really bringing in both science and intuition. So no tarot, no astrology, no crystals, really just, um, you know, mindfulness and stories from nature and science um 
and it's a delight and I'd love to see people there. Ah, I love it. Well, I cannot wait to join one soon. I mean, I'm a fan of the tarot and astrology and (laughs) I love this idea of new moon ritual to connect with our intuition. Um, Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us today. This has been seriously such a treat and I love, love, love the work that you're doing. Amazing. Thank you, Liz. And right back at you. 